All right then, well, if you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, um, the second chapter. I want to begin there tonight. I want to read a few verses to you uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll begin with verse 14 and read on down through maybe verse 21 or so. Uh, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. And I'll just try to share with you a few thoughts that God has placed on my heart this evening. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. Now Second Timothy is... Uh, most believe maybe the last uh, epistle that Paul wrote before his death, before his execution. Uh, of course, we don't know that for sure because the scripture doesn't tell us that. Uh, but there is some hints along the way. Uh, this is where you know Paul talks about having you know having run the race, and it, it, you know it's just you can kind of tell from the way that he's talking that he at least feels like this is it, whether it is or not. I guess we don't know a hundred percent for sure. But anyways, he's writing to Timothy, right? Timothy is a young man. He's a pastor. Uh, so Paul is dealing with some things. He's, he's uh, uh, talking to Timothy about some things that Timothy needs to know, uh, some things that Timothy needs to understand. That's why in, in 1 Timothy you see the qualifications for a deacon and the qualifications for a, a, a bishop or minister. Uh, you see the or pastor. You see uh, Paul dealing with some doctrinal things is in which we're going to deal with tonight. And so anyways, you see these instructions that he is giving Timothy and, and us through that. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 14 says, Oh, these things, put them, excuse me, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom Hymenicus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but, of, but also of wood and of earth and some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Let us pray. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you. Lord, we thank you for the good day and the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here tonight to, uh, to worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you, Lord, for our church family, each one that you've sent our way tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our head. Thank you for the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have. But we thank you most of all tonight for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. Lord, let us never take that lightly or take it for granted, but let us always be a people with praise and glory on our lips for you, because you alone are worthy of it. 
And Lord, I just pray as we go forward tonight in this service that you'd have your way and your will in our midst. God, you know our hearts, you know our needs, you know our concerns, you know what we're facing, you know what we're dealing with, you know what stands ahead of us, you know what's behind us, Lord. There's nothing that is hidden from you. So, Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, that you would just move in a mighty way. God, that you would stir our hearts here tonight. God, that you'd knit us closer together. Lord, that you'd draw us near to you. God, that we might through this uh, grow in love, love for one another and love for you. Lord, that we might grow in grace and and, in knowledge of you, that we might grow uh, as Christians. Uh, that we might become more like you, that we might be more holy as you're holy, perfect as you're perfect. God, my prayer is, is just help me to get out of the way and, and let you be God of this service here tonight. And so, Lord, my heart's desire is if there's any among us that's lost and undone, if there's any that's backslidden, any that's let uh, sin creep into their lives, uh, into their heart and into their mind where it does not belong, I pray, Lord, that you'd convict them of it. God, that you'd just pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction and don't give them any peace until they would repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, my prayer tonight is, is that you would do what only you can do here and have your way and your will in our midst. God, that we would leave here tonight with a greater burden for a lost and dying world, with a greater hunger for righteousness, a desire to serve you like we've never had before. And we'll give you the glory for it, every bit of it. And Lord, let me ask one more thing. I need your help. I can't preach without you, and I know that. So I'm asking that you use me one more time here tonight, that you'd preach me one more time, and I'll be sure and give you the glory for it. Clear my mind of everything except for your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to speak tonight, Lord. Lord, my desire is for them to hear from you, not me. I don't want them to hear from me. I got nothing worth saying, but I want them to hear from you tonight. So God, use me as your vessel here tonight, and I'll give you all the glory for it. God, I'm asking for your anointing, your holy unction. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. We ask it all tonight in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You know, a preacher from, from a bygone era, from years ago, used to tell a story. And, and the story is actually called, uh, fitted down here for service up there. It may even be written and recorded somewhere. Uh, but anyways... Uh, Here's how the story would go, right? Here's what he would say. He said, I had a friend who during the Great Depression lost a job, lost a fortune, lost a wife, and a home. But unwaveringly, tenaciously held on to his faith. Desperately hung on to his faith. That was the only thing that he had left. One day he stopped to watch some men who were building a church, and this church was a stone church made out of stone. And one of them was chiseling on this triangular-shaped piece of rock. And the man asked him, What are you going to do with that? The workman who was working on it responded and said, 
Do you see that little opening way up there by the steeple? Well, I'm shaping this rock down here so that it will fit up there. Tears filled the man's eyes. This heartbroken man, eyes filled with tears as he walked away. Why Why did he react this way? Because God had spoken to him through that workman, through that mason, to give him hope and to give him strength in the ordeal that he was going through. Now, in our text tonight, and and hopefully as we go on, that story, if it doesn't make sense to you now, it will as we go on. In our text tonight, I read to you this whole section because I wanted you to get the context. But I want to focus on verse 21. It says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, right? It's talking about, uh, you know, from previous, uh, earlier, when it was talking about the, uh, you know, to shun profane and vain babbling, uh, you know, and, and talking about ungodliness, right? And it talked uh, a minute ago about, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity, right? If a man, if a person, therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet, for the master's use, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. In our text here, I want to focus on sanctified tonight. It is a Bible word. Sanctified is not a word that we would normally use. I don't think, I wouldn't normally use it in everyday conversation. I don't think it's a word that you would use normally in everyday conversation. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say probably most people who have not studied it out in the biblical context probably wouldn't have any idea what the word meant. Maybe they'd heard it before but would not know what it meant. Sanctified, sanctification, our sanctification is a doctrine, right? It's a biblical doctrine that God teaches Right, it's one that God is using the Apostle Paul to help instruct Timothy here uh, in the Scripture. Now, he just refers to it here in this verse, but actually he gives some definition for what it means to be sanctified, right? He's talking about vessels to honor and vessels to dishonor, right? The vessel is you and I. It's the Christian, right? Ones to honor and ones to dishonor, right? The ones to honor is the ones that are fit, right? Meat for the master's use, right? Uh, Unto every good work. The ones to dishonor are the ones that are made to, to be thrown away for destruction. And so anyways, in our text to be sanctified means it implies it is saying to be ready for the master's use what does it mean by the master's use it means the master's service right to be ready for the lord's service to be able to go and serve the lord so what we're what it's meaning here is you are to be sanctified and i am to be sanctified before god can use you do you Do you understand what I'm saying here? The scripture is telling us we have to be sanctified in order for God to use us. 
what does it mean to be, what, what does this mean? What does this mean to be sanctified? Because at this point, it's probably as clear as mud to you. It means being pre-prepared, prepared beforehand. It's talking about the shaping that God must do on us first. Do you understand? The shaping that God must do on us first before we'll fit, before we're meet, right, prepared, fit for the master's use. Now, this concept of some things happening to get taken care of first is not a new concept at all. As a matter of fact, I was trying to think of some good uh, uh, illustrations, some good examples to share with you to illustrate this point. And this is probably one of my weakest points as a preacher, but I'm going to try to share this with you anyways. And so I was just, you know, I was thinking about this and it, it really where the Lord drew me was to Matthew's gospel, right? So this, this, this things of some things that need to be done first, do this first, uh, is not a new concept. But Matthew's gospel records a few times uh, that Jesus taught some things that must happen first before something else could be done. So let's just look at what Jesus said for just a minute, and I think this will fit in and teach us some about our sanctification as we go along here. But the first thing that comes to mind as I begin to flip through uh, Matthew's gospel is uh, first we need to be reconciled to your brother, right? He teaches that. First be reconciled to your brother. If you look, uh, Ted already mentioned uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If you go back to Matthew uh, chapter 5 and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if you look at verse 23 in, in Matthew chapter 5 for just a minute Matthew 5 23 says uh, therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that my brother or that thy brother has ought against thee leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first be reconciled to thy brother and then come offer thy gift. Worshiping God is important. Bringing the gift to the to the altar and that was part of you know that was an act of worship and that's important, right? Because God alone is worthy of our worship. I I try to emphasize that all the time, and I think about that and remind myself of that a lot whenever I, whenever I pray is that God alone is worthy of our worship. But Jesus is saying, do not neglect. Don't, in this case here, do not neglect a, a peace among the brethren. Right? If your brother has aught against you, you need to take care of that. You need to do that first before you come and offer your gift, your sacrifice, your worship. Ephesians 4.3 right, tells us endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Right? Do what we can. Do not neglect the peace among the brethren while at the same time not compromising the truth either. Right? You can't, you, you can't have peace at all costs, right? That's the other side of the coin. That's the extreme going too far is peace at all costs. And, and, and you um, compromise the truth. Compromise the word of God to, you know, doing whatever to get along. That can't be the case either, right? Stand firmly on the word of God. 
But at the same time, what if your brother has something against you? Some people take this, interpret this literally as a physical brother or, or sister or sibling, but I think it's talking about a brother or sister in Christ. That's what I think it's talking about. And so what if your brother has something against you? Right? If you sinned against him, then repent and ask forgiveness, right? Ask forgiveness of God and go and reconcile with him, make things right, whatever it is that needs to be done. And if he thinks that you sinned against him, do not wait for him to come to you. If at all possible, seek peace, go to him or her. Do not think that you can overlook needless division just because you're making worship a priority. Don't think that you can neglect this one thing. In this case, it's peace among the brethren, right? If brother has ought against you. Don't think you can neglect that because you're doing such a great job with, your, uh, with whatever it is that you're doing for the Lord over here. The unity comes from being at peace with the brethren is of the utmost importance. So God says if there's a problem, if there's a division, if the, in other words, if, if a brother has an ought or a brother or sister has not, first be reconciled to, him, to your brother. Take care of that first. So as we go along here in Matthew's gospel, the next thing that I come across was uh, in Matthew chapter 7 where he talks about, you know, first take the beam out of your own eye, right? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother... Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Of course, a beam is like a log, right? And a mote is just something small, like a little bitty speck. Right? It's saying that you're trying to pick a little speck, right? You're nitpicking at, at another Christian whenever you've got this huge problem, this huge hang-up, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, helping others when they go astray is important. Uh, we do need to try to bring them back into the flock when they go astray. There's a lot of scripture uh, to back us up on that. I think, first of all, about James Chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, right? I mean, there is a lot of scripture for that. And it tells us that right in the book of Ephesians to do it in love. But at the same time, do not ignore the sin that is in our own life. Matter of fact, I believe the scripture teaches us to continually seek to improve ourselves by continually examining ourselves. I don't know if that's the best way to say that or not, but let a man examine himself, right? That's what it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I think by, you know, if we do that, then it says we'll not be judged, right? Many think that this passage I've read here uh, condemns judging. I can't count how many times I've heard it. The first two verses quoted, judge not, right? 
Don't judge me, judge not. Well, this passage doesn't condemn judging. It just does not, it just condemns hypocritical judging. In other words, remember the standard applies to you and me too. So take, we need to take care of our own shortcomings first, and then we can help someone else. Don't think that you can overlook your own sin, even if you're trying to help someone else out with maybe their issue or their problem. So that's another time that Jesus says, take care of this first. The other one that come to mind that I wanted to share with you real quick is way back in the back of the book of Matthew, Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25. It says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the, of the cup and of the platter, but within they are, <clears throat> they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, then outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. First clean the inside of the cup. First clean the inside of the cup. Listen, good Christian conduct with and, and, and before others is important. We ought to let our light shine. We need to be examples to others, right? First uh, Peter 2.12 talks about having your conversation honest, right? We absolutely uh, need to guard our witness, right? Our testimony. We need to guard those things, right? We need to make sure that, that you know, we don't... Um, That we're not ashamed to the name of Christ by our conduct. But it's telling us here that we also need to make sure that our heart is right. That what is on the inside, right? That appearances are not everything, right? Uh, appearing righteous or moral in the eyes of the world is not enough. It's got to be coming from a true heart. It's got to be right on the inside. It cannot be just a, a outward deeds. In other words, we must watch over our heart. We need to, be, we need to guard against uh, the flesh. Our obedience must come from our heart. Don't think that you can, in other words, don't think that you can overlook the condition of the inner man just because the outward man acts godly. Now, I told you that I wanted to talk about our sanctification, and there was a just a few examples of things that we need to do. But sanctification, what is it? In general, it is the process by which we are um, set apart, made holy for God's use. It's the process by which God purifies the believer. If we want to get real technical about it, sanctification is usually looked at in three ways. First of all, there's what's technically called 
positional sanctification, right? That's our place or our position in Christ, right? Every believer has this from the moment that you're saved because of your position and your place in Christ, right? Uh, you are sanctified, so that's positional sanctification. Then there's also what a lot of people think about, and there's even some false doctrine built around it, which is perfect or ultimate sanctification, right? And we don't see that until we reach our final state, right? Until we enter into eternity, till we're in our glorified bodies, that's when we'll be perfect, right? That's when we're completely holy, perfectly sanctified, or ultimate sanctification. But then lastly, there's what's called progressive sanctification, which is what I'm talking about here tonight. Mending relationships, guarding against self-righteousness, cleaning the inside of the cup first. It's our daily growth in grace and in holiness. It's the process by which we are made fit, meet for the Master's use. It's us becoming more like Christ. And it's amazing sanctification when you think about how does that work and how is that done. And on one hand, it's completely and totally the work of God. But yet then on the other hand, we have a part in that work also when you're talking about our daily walk, our growth in Christ. I don't believe for a second that you can lay down and do nothing, right? And just, and just lay down there and just, uh, you know, lay down on the couch and watch whatever smut you want to. And, and, and I guess eat your potato chips or whatever and say, God, here I am, sanctify me. I don't know that it worked that way. I think there's a little work from our part. Do these things first, right? If brother has not, go reconcile with him, right? If it's all possible to be at peace, be at peace, right? Clean the inside of the cup first, right? Pull the beam out of your own eye before you go and try to get the mode or the speck out of your brother's eye. What is sanctification? It's the shaping that God must do here first before you'll fit up there. Why did I tell the story that I did to begin with? Right? The guy wondering, what is this mason, this master craftsman? Why is he spending so much time perfectly working on and shaping this triangle-shaped rock. What's he doing? Why is he doing this? Why is he spending so much time? I don't even understand. And then when he asks, I points way up there by the top of the steeple and said, I'm shaping it here so it'll fit up there. That's what God's doing, right? That's our sanctification. He's shaping us here. So we'll fit there. Hallelujah. 
<laughs> Glory to God, I'm glad. I know that sometimes it hurts. I know sometimes it's rough. I know sometimes, right, is a, a, a sharp edge has got to be shipped off, chipped off and smooth and rounded. I realize sometimes it hurts, absolutely. Sometimes it's, why, God, why are you doing this? Sometimes we don't even know that we're out of shape and we don't fit and he's working fitting, right, and we question him and we rebel. Sometimes we even rebel against him or we get mad or we say, God, why did you do this, right? That man, he lost his job, he lost his family, he lost everything. God, why? To one guy, one day God showed him, I'm shaping you and I'm fitting you. Doing this first so you fit up there. Glory to God, I'm so glad, Brother Robert. I got a home in heaven, hallelujah. Well, glory to God. God is, and he said that he's going to prepare a place. And if he goes and prepares a place for me, he's going to come again and receive me unto himself. That where he is, I may be also. Hallelujah, that promise ain't just for me, it's for you too, church. Oh, I know there's a little shaping that's got to be done down here. But glory to God. I'm going to fit up there, hallelujah. I've got a spot that I've been shaped and molded for that I fit perfectly. Oh, hallelujah. I know. I know that as the master sometimes is shaping, that we go through things and we see it here. There's trials and tribulation, hard times, and why is it that I've got to endure this? God, have you forsaken me? God, do you not love me anymore? God, why? But the very reason that you're going through that is because God does love you. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. But why did God give me a message like this? I don't know. I don't know why you're, what you might be going through. I don't know what you might be dealing with. But God does. And He loves you. He's not left you and He's not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you. He's there every step of the way. Right in when you, when you stumble, when you get to the spot, place where you can't go any longer, he's the one that picks you up and carries you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Jennifer, will you come tonight for a song of invitation? I'm getting ready. To, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to open the altar, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to come tonight. I'm going to beg you to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come tonight? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, would you come tonight? Maybe God's been dealing with you and working on you, and there's some things that you've been going through that's been kind of rough. Would you come tonight? Maybe God has burdened your heart with somebody. Instead of, I mean, it's good that they're on your thoughts, but why don't you come and call out their name to Jesus? Hallelujah. Whatever the need, whatever the burden here is tonight, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come tonight? Would you come? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God.